0: Appreciate that. Sharing is, is a vital part of our church working working together. With that thought in mind, uh, one of the things that we're going to be looking at, some of you are on Wednesday nights and hearing me share some of our thoughts as far as church life and finances and worldwide needs. And uh, we're doing a study uh, Wednesday nights. Uh, started this past Wednesday on the using a book called The Radical, um, freeing ourselves from the American dream. Um, and so we've got about eight more weeks of that. But uh, one of the things that I've been bringing out is that as a church, we need to consider uh, how we use our money, and especially if we look at the same amount of money that we may put toward making our life more comfortable as a church, compared to what that money might do uh, in another context, another country, uh, where people die daily without right requirements, right basic needs. Um, church starts, church plants. and uh, It needs to be the standard of how we evaluate. Do we need to spend $250 here, or is there uh, a good use? Is there a better use? Um, with that thought in mind, uh, I want to bring it up to a little bit more practical uh, idea. We're, we're contemplating a decision at, uh, whether or not uh, we contract out our lawn service, our yard work. Um, And uh, this is where the rubber meets the road. Uh, For the last few years, we've had our old members doing this. And we've seen it uh, as a lot of things, if you don't uh, bring to people's attention, uh, will wane in interest. And uh, we've had Lynn Daniels and Dan Padula and a few others. They've been been roughing it out and taking care of it uh, for the most part. Um, But we're trying to make that decision. And if we don't have folks willing to take it and say, yeah, I'll cut grass uh, one time a week, uh, we've got a lawnmower for it. I've heard it's fun. I've signed my name on, so I'm going to try to experiment myself, see how fun it is using that lawnmower. Uh, but if we have uh, someone willing to do that, if we have enough guys, we, it can really go down to one time a year uh, that we cut grass when we have enough guys. If not, we'll contract it out. I mean, that, it's, it's our yard. we got to do something. And, and that could cost, uh, for cheapskates, folks like me thinking, oh, that's $5,000. And to some folks, more realistic, thinking, no, it's going to be more like $15,000. Yeah, we'll bite that if we have to. But if we don't have to, can we look at making our budget more mission-minded? That's our thrust this year and uh, for this next coming-up budget year. And uh, if we contract it out, we'll do it. We'll make it happen. But uh, I I think we'll we'll fill it. We'll fill it somewhere in, in giving toward mission. So Just that thought of mine. uh, Lynn Daniels has um, conveniently placed the sign up for us right outside the foyer, and um, I I just want to give you uh, every opportunity to apply what you hear um, and and to change the values um, of how you live life. So um, again, I've I've put my name on there because I didn't want to say this without my name being on there. So it's it's out there. Um, (laughs) I hope I don't do more damage than uh, than help. So, just that thought of mine. Uh, we, we're looking in Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to finish up this chapter, uh, Lord willing, uh, this morning. This is one of the great halls of faith, as often categorized, uh, this chapter, uh, talking about uh, uh, what faith looks like in the lives of people. Uh, when I come across folks who go through difficult times, uh, sometimes they have different perspectives, and they talk to me about it. And, and, they, and, and one perspective is that, Um, You know, have I done something? This, This bad stuff that I'm going through is because I've done something bad in my life. And so this is God's way of punishing me. And that's one view. But let me just say that when we're talking about God's punishment, that's fully satisfied on the cross with Jesus Christ. All right? So when you go through bad stuff, it's not so that... Uh, okay, this is a little extra punishment that Jesus didn't take care of in your sin. Now there may be some corrective measures that God is doing, and helping you to seek Him instead of seeking other things. But that's that's one perspective, and they view God as uh, punishing God. The other perspective is, is not that that they believe that, but they, they believe you know God is here. Um, and the uh, thing is though, I can't get God to work in my life because I don't have enough faith. If I had more faith, then there would be a different situation than what's going on right now. Uh, I I just need to have more faith. Now, this is often what uh, televangelists... and I I say that generally. Anybody on TV is not bad. I mean, there's some good guys on TV. But there are some guys that you don't need to listen to and believe. You can listen to and walk away, but don't believe. Where they say, if you just have more faith then this wouldn't happen in your life. And one way to demonstrate your faith is be sure to send in your cards and notes and, and add a little little money uh, to that. And that way you're demonstrating your faith. Um, don't listen to that. Because the, the idea is, is then we are prosperous because we have faith. And when that gets spread out around the world and think, oh, the Americans, they're, they're a Christian nation, look at all the prosperity. If we become believers, then we also will have the same prosperity of America which we make God a Pez dispenser for the wealth. You know, just press these buttons and God's going to give us everything that we want. Another perspective is they go through bad things. They, have, they believe they have faith, uh, but they don't believe God's there. I've got faith. I'm going through bad things. I've asked God to change these things. God hasn't changed these things. Therefore, God's not there. Because if God was there, he would listen to what I say. Now, that's another strain that we go through. And and we will find ourselves in one of these three tendencies. We'll gravitate there. And, And you just need to catch it when you go there. Catch it when you go there and compare your thinking to the word of God. All right, compare your thinking. That is what we've got to do. We've got to compare our thinking to the word of God. And so I would just present to you Hebrews chapter 11. That's a great chapter to compare your thinking to. Whereas God's just left you, and He's not—you know, He's He's not listening to you because if He's listening to you, everything would be different. Or if you know what, if I just had more faith, and God would change things, but He's not. Therefore, I don't have faith. And and, and you know, just correcting these these attitudes, or our God is a punishing God. Well, let's look at Hebrews chapter eleven. We're going to look at verse thirty-two through verse forty. We've already gone through uh, many of the patriarchs. Uh, and how they demonstrated faith. I'm going to bring back to you the important verse, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. We're asking ourselves, what does faith look like? Faith is, is that seeing the invisible. Faith is letting the not yet compel your present. All right? That's important. That there's things happening in the future That you're counting on and shaping how your life, live your life. And faith is letting the invisible color the visible. In other words, you know that the invisible God is more powerful, greater than the visible things around you. So when things go in your life that don't look very pretty, I mean, it's just black and white, it's a little outline. You say, God, you know, I've got my picture here. I'm going to let you color this picture, I'm going to let you color it how you want. And that may be that He puts in some shades of pain. That he puts in some shades of adversity. That means that he could put in some shades of prosperity. He could put these shades in, but you let God color. All right, you let him color your life. And so you've got one example after the other of men who have done this, women who have done this, lived in different times, different situations, sometimes very tough, but yet they see God work. And the whole attitude through it all is that I'm living for the not yet. I'm living for the unseen I'm letting God color my life, not economic forces, not physical abilities or disabilities, not powers to be around me. I'm letting God do it. That's important. Okay? And so what's the end result? Verse 6, Hebrews eleven six. 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. I've had the question come to me. You know, it seems like he can't please God. I mean, you, you are bad and you can't do anything To be good before God and I would say yes, you cannot do anything to be good before God. It does not lie in your ability to perform. But it does lie in your heart to desire. When you desire God, when you believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him so that you see all the things that are and you see God, you see Jesus Christ, you desire Him more than the things of this worth. You worship Him, glorify Him. God gives grace to you and says, yes, you've done wrong, but I don't see that anymore. I see the right standard of Jesus Christ that's been applied to you. That's called grace. I don't walk thinking God owes me anything. And therefore, when bad things happen, I can't get mad at God because he doesn't owe me anything. All right? You see how this is important? And so, Hebrews 11, 6. Faith, was it look like? It's impossible to please him without faith. For whoever, who, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, and he rewards those who seek him. You believe that he exists, and you seek him. Faith expressed is seeking God. So consequently, you take the verse of that, if you're not seeking God... Not much faith. And we all want to be people of faith. That's why we're here, right? And the, the, the standards put out there. All right. Are you seeking God? That's, and that's why I've spent so much time attacking Christianity as far as religion. Because I think we can get in surface level of what it looks like to be a Christian and we never seek God. I think that's why it's important for our teenagers and our students and our children to understand. It's not just knowing the Bible stories. It's not just knowing what good music is and what bad music is and and how to behave. It's whether or not you're seeking God. Because if you're not seeking God, you're not demonstrating faith. And so when we talk to our students, we talk to the parents, we talk to the, the, the seniors... We're preaching for salvation. We're preaching for the gospel that people would know the gospel and live it. That we seek Christ together and not just act like we are. And so, wow, okay, I I need to get into the text. Hebrews 11, verse uh, 32. uh, In honor of this being God's word, let's, let's stand as we read this. We're looking again, what does faith look like? And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms and forced justice. Now, I want you to know, as we're reading this, this is all following that phrase, who through faith. Through every action, every little comma, just in your mind put, through faith, they did these things. Who through faith conquered kingdoms. "...through faith enforced justice, through faith obtained promises, through faith stopped the mouths of lions, through faith quenched the power of fire, through faith escaped the edge of the sword, through faith were made strong out of weakness, through faith became mighty in war, through faith put foreign armies to flight, through faith women received back their dead by resurrection, through faith some were tortured, through faith refusing to accept release so that they may rise again to a better life." Through faith, others suffered mocking and flogging. And through faith, even chains and imprisonment. Through faith, they were stoned. Through faith, they were sown in two. Through faith, they were killed with the sword. Through faith, they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. You may be seated. I almost hope I don't finish this today so I can preach on it again. Uh, It's just a lot here. Um, First, he goes through this list, and everything sounds good. I mean, there's victory after victory after victory. And so when we read this first list, something tells us... uh, what does faith look like? You just need to know what faith can do. Faith may spark God's miraculous deliverance. You need to, as you read this, this is one point that the author is trying to get to you. Faith may spark God's miraculous deliverance. You remember Ephesians 2, 8, and 9? For by grace are you saved through faith. We talked about two important attributes that sparks the grace of God. One, humility. It's attested to elsewhere in scripture, and then Ephesians 2, 8, 9, faith. You want to see God's grace in your life? It's going to be done through humility. It's going to be done through faith. Believing that God is, that you let him color your life, that you trust him because of who he is. When you do that, it sparks grace. Now, grace may come in a couple of different ways. It may be done through miraculous deliverance. That's the grace of God. When God does something that is extraordinary, uh, and, and so we've got example after example. Now, one of the common denominators of all these men is that they were often considered by the world as less than. All right? As less than. Are they considered themselves as less than? Okay? You've got Gideon. Um, he, he told uh, the angel of the Lord, he said, You know, I'm the least of the, of the clans. I'm the least of the tribes. Um, and you see him kind of wavering and believing uh, God, but yet God does miraculous work through a weak person. Barak, he, uh, he saw himself as not capable and, and did not want to do the mighty work of God, go and lead an army without uh, Deborah, the judge, uh, as a way of assurance. But yet God still did a work through Barak. Samson had problems with his own desires and appetites that was a constant flaw in his life. But God still somehow used that. To, to win mighty victories against the enemies of God in the Philistine army. Uh, Jephthah was a bastard that uh, others of his family said, You need to go away from us. And so he got uh, went out and, and had a crew of motley people around him. Of unworthy sword is how the Bible describes him. Yet God uses this man Jephthah to fight against the battles are the or enemies of God. David was the, the youngest son of several, the shepherd boy that even his own dad forgot about him when, when he was interrogated as to his, who his sons were and possibility of being anointed as king. And so you've got example after example after example. One of the common themes that these men were viewed as weak by themselves or the world saw them as weak. And then we see the prophets. Uh, and, and then we listed out the prophets. And we're talking about from Samuel on. Uh, Samuel being one of the first of the prophets. Uh, and, and that line that would follow, including the Elisha and Elijah and, and Isaiah and Jeremiah and so many others. And what did they do? Verse 33. They conquered kingdoms. They did that by faith. We talk about how faith has different actions, uh, that it could be mundane tasks. You know, it could be like uh, um, building a boat, or it could be just simple things in life. You, you see a list above in Hebrews 11 where folks were doing it seemed like commonplace things, but they were doing it by faith. God intervened. But then you've got this other list of extraordinary feats, conquering kingdoms, enforcing justice, obtain promises, stop the mouths of lying, referring to, to uh, Daniel here. Quenching the power of fire, probably referring to his uh, cohorts and and the um, Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, escaped the edge of the sword. And now, verse 34, they were made strong out of weakness. These were men that no one said, wow, we can expect a lot out of these guys. Or they said to themselves the same things. I'm not expecting much out of myself. And when God says, I'm expecting to work through you, it takes them back. And Listen. God does the same thing today. He wants to work through you. It matters not your ability. But do you believe that God can work? Do you believe that he is, that he exists, that he rewards those who diligently seek him? A heart that seeks after God is, is, is a lot more qualified to make a difference in this world than the heart that has all kinds of memory and physical prowess, and political connections, and and financial resources. The one who seeks God is more qualified to change this world. And so, they became mighty in war, though they were weak. Through faith, they put armies to flight. Women received back their dead. Now, we start making a transition here. Women received back their dead by resurrection. This was done by faith. we see Old Testament examples of this, but in the New Testament, certainly. Uh, I think John chapter 11, verse 24 through 26, Mary, Martha, Lazarus, Jesus. Remember the story? Jesus is coming to Lazarus dead, been in the tomb for several days. Martha said to him, referring to Jesus, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection of life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And just as uh, to prove that he is the resurrection, he raises Lazarus up from the dead. All right? Now, verse 35, if you you go on down, this turns negative. All right? By faith, some were tortured, refusing to accept release. Some, by faith, refused to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. You hear the contrast there? With what was said earlier, women received back their dead by resurrection. Then some persevered on, even tortured to death, so that they could have a better life. In other words, this is a temporary resurrection. What Lazarus endured, what some of the others had endured, is somewhat of a miraculous resuscitation, but they would die again, wouldn't they? It makes you wonder <laughs> really was it all that good? You know, dying once, I imagine, is pretty bad, and then you get to do it again. And this time you get to do it again knowing what it's going to be like. And and so it it was just delayed. But these here mentioned that they kept on enduring the persecution, looking for a better death a better life, a better resurrection, a better timetable. It says, look, you know what? There's going to be a resurrection in which there will be no more death. I live for that resurrection. I live for that resurrection, not just a bodily resurrection, but a spirit united with a glorified body, free from the presence of sin, never to see death again, except to say bye-bye death when God destroys it. That's the better life there. (laughs) Talking about the best life now. Um, I didn't read the book, but I wonder if you refer to Hebrews 11 in it. Uh, in this passage. But some were tortured. Refusing to accept release. Now he goes on now. And he, he shifts the subject a little bit. And here's what you need to know. Faith may spark God's miraculous deliverance. God may do that. If it happens. It's, it's going to be done. With you believing. The not yet. And the unseen. Because when God does miraculous things like that. It does display to everybody watching. There is an invisible force at work that i cannot see (laughs) there's god at work and so when miracles happen it's a testimony to that but you know that's not the only way god can get that testimony god can get the testimony another way and that leads us to this faith may spark god's empowering endurance faith may spark god's empowering endurance Um, it could go either way and so what we're about to see here are folks who went through torture who went through difficulty because of faith it wasn't just because they were jerks. It wasn't just because they were criminals. But because of faith, living out, believing in the unseen, seeking God, believing that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, in contrast to the opinions and authorities of man, they did this, and it got them in trouble. It got them in the place of persecution. So, they endured. They were tortured. You know that word torture is where we get the word drum? is that interesting? Drum? Strung out, beat upon, all right? It's, it's, it's a, a real physical image of what can happen and what did happen to some being stretched out and beat upon. But though this happened, they refused to accept release so that they may rise again to a better life. Some think that the author is referring to a, an intertestament period uh, of a hero uh, by the name of Eleazar in the, in the Maccabean Revolt. Um, this old teacher was forced to open his mouth to eat pork. As a Jew, he knew that was not what God wanted him to do. But referring an honorable death to an unclean life, he spat it out. Then they stretched him on a rack and flogged him. At one point, they offered that he could eat clean meat, but pretend that it was the pork that the king had ordered. He replied, send me quickly to my grave. If I went through with this pretense that at my time of life, many of the young men might believe that at the age of 90, Eleazar had turned apostate. If I practice deceit for the sake of a brief moment of life, I should lead them astray and bring strain and pollution on my old age. I might for the present avoid men's punishment, but alive or dead, I shall never escape from the hand of the Almighty. In another incident, seven sons of one woman were tortured and killed in front of her for refusing to eat pork. It could be that they're referring to that intertestamental period, but I'm going to tell you, I'm going to assure you that if this was written today, they would not have to go back 2,000 years and more to find, find some records. In fact, an estimate by the, by the Open Door Ministry Group in 2010 is estimated that 100 million Christians face persecution today. Did you get that number? 100 million. 100 million. Some in the Muslim world, some in North Korea, some at the hands of Hindu extremism, India and other parts, some of Islamic terrorism, some in America, some in the western parts of this world, it's here. There's ample testimony around it. If you've got the nerve, I challenge you to look up persecution of believers in India. Do it on YouTube, do it on a video, persecution of believers in Orissa. O-R-I-S-S-A. And you can see in computer image things done recently where believers are treated like drums. Not stretched out, but beaten with sticks and hands pummeled. We don't think about this because we can't handle it. We can't reconcile what believers go through around this world with what Christianity looks like here, today. And so we just don't think about it. Because we can't reconcile the two. I'm going to tell you to ponder it, to consider it as the Hebrew author is asking us to, so that we will not be comfortable in the state that we're in and what Christianity looks like here. But to challenge us to say, this is what the biblical view of Christianity looks like. While folks are gathering together praying for their believers, praying for their brothers and sisters because they're getting persecuted and challenged in various ways, beat. We gather together and we may, may likely complain because of some method of how church has happened. We just have a hard time reconciling the two sometimes. And we should. We should have a hard time reconciling the two. But notice, they're tortured so that they may rise again To a better life. This is the key. How is it they endure? God gives them empowering and strength. Because God gives them a foretaste of things to divine. A blessed assurance. I think about Stephen. In Acts chapter 7 verse 54 through 60. Stephen was one of the first. That was persecuted. uh, In Jerusalem. And it says that. uh, Let me read to you verse 54 and 60. It says now when they heard these things. Referring to Stephen's proclamation. They were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. It shows you the hatred of the world against Christ. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. It is that vision of a better life, of a better time, of a time with Jesus Christ. It is a vision of who Christ is. Notice that led him through the time. He says, verse 56, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. The witness laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against him. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. What was it that led him through this? The scripture tells us it was a vision of Christ. I guess that's why it's so important to be seeking God now. Do we have in our mind, in our mental banks, stored up truths about Christ? Are we spending our time calling the scriptures to who see who Christ is? Are we just don't have time for that except when we come here on Sundays because it fits in naturally to our schedule. But we've got images of all other kinds of things cold up in our minds and brains. It's this vision of Christ, of, of seeing this better life with christ verse 36 who others suffered mocking and flogging even chains and imprisonment and they were stoned they're sewn in two that they, many people believe that the author was referring to isaiah which tradition tells us that the the king Manasseh killed the prophet isaiah by sewing him in two a jewish work called the martyrdom of isaiah recounts this terrible ordeal saying isaiah neither cried aloud nor wept but his lips spoke with the holy spirit until he was sewn in two they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. So the question is, is, when we see these two categories, we're thinking, okay, I want to go in that first category. Do I have a say in this? Well, let me tell you what else faith does. Faith may spark God's miraculous deliverance. Faith may spark God's empowering endurance. But whatever, faith trust God. Faith trust God. We don't get to decide. As bad as you may want it to end out in your desired way. What is it about faith? We're letting Him color. We're believing that the invisible trumps the visible. We believe that God has a say in what's going on and He's got a, a, a purpose behind it. And so we're going to have to let Him color Will you give him the coloring page of your life and say, God, I'm going to let you do it? Faith, trust, God. Now, I'm going to tell you that faith and and God does not work according to how your brain thinks, according to all the factors that you know about. There are factors that you do not know about. I remember encountering this one time, and I think it was maybe my first or second year as a pastor. A young lady, a 34-year-old, Um, she comes and, and follows Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, she's sitting in and she's sitting in the back and I, she's got hungry eyes. We go and visit with her and her husband was, oh yeah, you know, I've done all that, you know, big deal. But she was saying, yeah, I want that. I want to know Jesus as my Savior and Lord. So Beverly Weaver, we see her make a decision to follow Jesus. I watch her grow. She has a young baby, um, something like six months old, and I'm watching her grow, and she's learning. She's asking me questions. I get a call one morning from her sister and said, Beverly was killed this morning in a car accident, cover bridge, Shotwell Road, 6.30 in the morning. drunk driver ran into her. The baby's not a scratch on her. And I put down that phone and I thought God why? That makes no sense. I mean I can think of quite a few others (laughs) that might not need to be here. But she just followed you. I mean, she just, she was growing. She was making a difference in her family. I had to do her funeral. Pat crowd. She worked over at Bear Plant. And and, uh, I said, you know, 34 years has gone by. God waited until just six months prior that she would follow Christ. He took her home. He took her home. I'm just going to tell you. I I say that, I'm just telling you, I don't know why things happen sometimes the way they do. I can't figure that out. I can't figure out why an eight-year-old died this past week of a family that loves Christ. I can't figure out when one of our own commits suicide. I can't figure that out. There are a lot of things that just doesn't make sense. But here's what faith does. Faith says, God, there's invisible things going on here. And you're greater than this world. And you get to color the pages. Faith says to God, God, I trust in you. And the the grace may be a miraculous recovery. It may be a miraculous deliverance. It could be that Beverly comes up out of the grave. It could be that Jason comes out from the grave. Or it could be that, no, God says that's not going to happen. And faith is going to instead give us an enduring, an empowering endurance. Which, guess what? When believers do that, when they go through persecution and they give the opportunity for a relief, they say, no, if relief, man, from this persecution means I betray Christ, then I believe it is better... To be with Christ, then that relief that will come if things change. You know what that says to a watching world? It says to the world that I believe that God is. And I believe that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Did you know that it declares the same thing as when God does a miraculous delivery? It tells the world that there's something beyond this world whether it's intervening in the time and place and showing supernatural, or whether it's to say there's an enduring, overcoming, empowering strength in a believer's life that says, I'm not living for this world. I'm going to tell you that this world will not be won unless there are Christians who will lay their life on their line and, yes, die. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. It must happen. And God is glorified when believers says, God, I love you more. I seek you more. Tear my body in two. Pummel it with stones. Kill me with a sword. Let me walk around destitute, afflicted, mistreated. You're more. You're more. Have you thought about Acts chapter 12, verse 1 and 2? The Bible tells us that at that time... Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James the brother of John with the sword. First disciple to go. I thought about this when Beverly Weaver died. I thought, James, remember the inner three? Peter, John, James. I mean, he's the one, he he witnessed the transfiguration. I mean, he got to do all these things with Christ that some of the others didn't do, just with Peter and John. And the first one to go is James. And I read that I think, God, that doesn't make much sense. I mean, it seems like, you know, you poured your life more in him than he did some of the others. And he's the first to go? I mean, that's before Stephen. Could it be that God was giving a message to the disciples? It doesn't matter how close you are with Jesus. It doesn't make you exempt from persecution. In fact, Jesus said, if you will follow me, (laughs) you will be persecuted. It's going to happen. And so it was a statement to see one man who died well, who died for the faith, who said, I witnessed it. I saw it. I saw the resurrection of Jesus. It's all true. Let me show you. I'll die. And then Peter's the next to go, and God sets him free. (laughs) Everybody was, you know, that's great for Peter. You got to feel sorry for James sometimes, though. But no, you don't. Because James was living for a better life. James was living for a better life. Oh, okay, let's keep on going. Um, verse 39. All of these, though commended through the faith, did not receive what was promised. All right? They were commended. They pleased God. Not by their lifestyle. Not by some character morale. But because they sought God. More than life itself. And they were commended to their faith. But they did not receive what was promised. These Old Testament believers had the promise of a Messiah who would come. But they never saw the Messiah come. They had a taste of the promises of God. But they died lingering for something more. A foretaste of things to come. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 16 and 18 says, We do not lose heart. Though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this slight momentary affliction. And this is Paul talking. What's this slight momentary affliction? <laughs> uh, well, a few shipwrecks, a stoning here, you know, a flogging here. Uh, <laughs> this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an internal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen. Look, here, verse 18. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient. It's delusional. It's an, it's an illusion. It's just here temporarily, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Get your heart on the on the real reality. That's what carries us through and calls it momentary affliction. Verse 40. They did not receive what was promised since God had promised, provided something better for us. We're living for a better timetable that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Now, there's a lot here. Uh, but notice, if the small spark of light led them to heaven, referring to the Old Testament believers, when the sun of righteousness rise, shines over us, with what pretense can we excuse ourselves if we still cleave to this earth? So John Calvin stated and looking at this. Now here's the amazing thing. God has provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Did you know that I could be numbered with they? Who's the, the they referring to? He's referring to the prophets who were into, who were stoned, who were persecuted, who were, who were imprisoned. He's referring to the Gideons, he's referring to the Samsons, he's referring to the Samsons, he's referring to the Davids, he's referring to the Abraham's, Isaacs, and Jacobs. He's saying, All this list, did you know you could be in the same category as them? You're numbered with them. Did you know that you can be in the hall of faith? I'm like, okay, well, how do I do that? So God has provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. What's that word? Perfect. That They should not be complete. In other words, God is waiting to everybody passes the finish line. God is waiting for all the saints to finish the line, to get to the end of the race. Yes, Abraham was there. Abel was there. These are from the beginning. Enoch. But it could be he's waiting for the Emery. It could be that he's waiting for the Jane. The Jenna. The Melissa. The Mike. He's waiting for the end to be numbered with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, who will say in this world, and this land of affluence, this land of prosperity, the land of American dreams, to say, I see these things, I see these cars, I see these houses, but I am living for something better. I will live for this, and I will make that the deciding, compelling factors of the decisions of my life. And they finished the race. Spurgeon said... They are waiting up yonder for us. The choirs of heaven cannot be completed without you and me. Heaven's full complement, the perfect number of the divine family of love, can never be made up till we who have believed go up yonder to join all those who have had like precious faith. By God's grace, we shall all be there, that they with us may be made perfect. See, one more thing that faith does. Faith is ready Now listen, this is where it's hard and it's hard for me to obey this because of where I live and my life. Faith is ready to sacrifice present comfort for future reward. Faith is ready to sacrifice present comfort for future reward. To say, I want to be complete with these who have gone before me. I'm living for that day. We have seen Jesus Christ, but there is still a resurrection that yet remains, not just bodily, but our spirit united with a glorified body before Jesus Christ, and sin is done away with. Let that be the highlight of our life. Last few days, our girls have had some events lined up late in the evening with the Belarusian group and... Ice skating. One day, we were hoping for the pool party. Yesterday, it was, and it was like eight o'clock. You know, whole day goes by. <laughs> they wake up thinking, how many more hours left until the uh, ice skating party? <laughs> There's a whole day, just a whole day. You know, um, and so we did some good stuff, but everything was in light of that, that end of the day. I'm just going to say to you, there is something at the end of the day that is worth. Shaping every activity and relationship toward is the day that we are united with Jesus Christ. A final resurrection. Faith says, I'm going to let the not yet compel me. I'm going to let the not yet compel me. I'm going to let the unseen dictate. I'm going to let God color. And he may take me to miraculous deliverances. He may take me through uh, empowering endurance. But either way, I trust God. And the meanwhile, I'm going to be ready to sacrifice present comforts for future reward. Can you do that? Let's pray.